motivators. What is happening? Listen, it's friggin' 27th. Shit, is it the 27th of August today? I believe it is. Friday evening. Nice and brisk out. 77 and, and uh, dropping. Probably be 70 degrees. Plus or minus for a nice evening. Uh, good sleeping weather. Been a long friggin' day at Healthy Balance Chiropractic, my friends, and very rewarding working with people to try to remove their pain, try to eliminate that concern from their life, try to make a move better, as simple as it needs to be. Pain relief and improving function. Feel better. Maybe you freaking put a smile on your face. Maybe you'd be happy. Maybe you'd be nicer to your spouse, your family, your coworkers. And the dominoes fall like that. It feels good to have played some small role in making you a little bit more comfortable so that you can live a more productive, pain-free life. I got a cool story that a couple cool stories that I want to share with you. I think they're just they're just feel-good stories, dog stories, right? Everybody loves freaking dogs. If you don't love dogs, I don't love you, man. I don't I don't get it if you don't like animals, in particular dogs, they really are man's, humankind's best friend, we're like made for one another, from back in the times when we were sitting around campfires as hunters and gatherers, and the wolves were baying outside of our, you know, outside of friendly lines, they were on some mountaintop nearby, or just within freaking ascent of our campfire, on which we had turning some delicious morsels there, maybe a rabbit, maybe a, a friggin' wild boar or a deer, something, some sort of creature that we would be turning over that spit, and as those wolves and coyotes, the creatures of the night, smelled the meal that we were creating for our family, for our clan, it brought them close to us. And they realized that they needed to rely upon, you know, we, we maybe would leave that spit after the fire went out and we went on to do our hunting, hunting and gathering for the following day. Maybe, just maybe, probably, those friggin' animals scurried in there and took the charred remains of whatever was left, bones, pull them friggin' side, break them open with their friggin' crazy-ass jaws, take the marrow out. And anything that was left behind, the scraps. And they're like, hey, man, we should follow these guys around. They go from place to place, and they're smart enough and skilled enough to, to be able to take out game. Maybe we follow them around and, and get a free meal every once in a while. Then the wolves, coyotes, etc., fucking hyenas and shit, and their predecessors. Maybe they became accustomed to this association with men. Maybe they didn't, they didn't see us just as the occasional meal or um, somebody who would oftentimes chase them away with torches or friggin' throw spears at them and shit. Maybe they, they started to look at mankind as a potential friend, an ally. And next thing you know, we got a dog in our side protecting us, protecting our family and our campfire and our food and all that shit. Guarding the cave from the other beasts out there. So, friggin' dogs, man. They're just wonderful. Of course, now we bred them to be different colors and shapes and sizes and 
they're just wonderful. So, growing up, we had a lot of dogs in my family. We had a house full of dogs. I'm talking big dogs, none of these shit eaters. You know, these little tiny toy dogs and stuff like that. I'm talking about big 150, 200 pound plus animals. English Mastiffs was the breed that we really liked. So, how much is that little doggy in the window? Once upon a time, friggin' 35 years ago, give or take, we went and got my dad a birthday present or a Christmas present or something. Went to this place in Point Pleasant, New Jersey. I don't know, called the Pet Depot or something like that, the Puppy Mill, whatever the hell it was. There was this cute, freaking gigantic mastiff amid a bunch of other animals, and that were all, you know, fucking around, chewing on each other and stuff. And the mastiff, whom we would later name Buck, was lying flat on his back, splayed out with all four limbs jutting out to the side with its freaking jowls hanging down over its small, but what would become large freaking fang-like teeth with Peter hanging out, a little tuft of hair on the end. This was Buck. We took him home to my father, and this dog was freaking clumsy, could barely walk. It was tripping over its gigantic paws. Like Marm out of the Marmaduke comic or something like that, right? So we take back Buck home to my dad, would be the friggin' man's best friend. Loved my father. My father took this dog and all those that came after, all large friggin' crazy dogs, the most gentle creatures. He would take them on walks every day across from a power plant, Oyster Creek Nuclear Generating Station. My mother worked there. I think she took some huffs out of the smokestack up there. All right. That's probably why I'm so strange. My father worked for the Associated Line Company, power company, who climbed line, uh, telephone poles and, and splice wires and fix us up when the uh, storms came through and people hit telephone poles drunk. That was his job. So they, they had great jobs, good benefits, dual income, two kids. We had a friggin' nice bi-level in suburbia with a pool in the backyard, 20 by 40 dimensions, and life was good, right? These dogs were a big part of the good times growing up. I have pictures of myself and Buck, two pups, running mates. You know, we would charge through the woods and swim in the lakes and the pools and we go out walking on this power plant, the grounds of this, uh, across the street from this power plant, was this abandoned farm. And now a creek would run from the power plant all the way out to the bay. And they use that water source to cool whatever they got going on there in a the power plant, right? All quite safe, but what are you going to do? We would walk our dogs before terrorism and all that bullshit. We would walk our dogs right across the street from this power plant. You could walk for miles. There was an abandoned house on the grounds, a bunch of grasses and trees and stuff. And basically, kids go out there and drink beer and smoke pot and stuff. And we would walk our dogs. You 
go out there crabbing on the docks and the dogs would just friggin' run like crazy and go swimming in the bay and gigantic swarms of ticks would attack them and oh my god, it was friggin' ticks like you've never seen in your life it was out by the on Fenninger's farm in Forked River, New Jersey, out on this friggin' nuclear plant farm. And we would walk our dogs out there. Buck grew, and he had a voracious appetite, took gigantic dumps. <clears throat> We'd wrestle. I put my forearm in his mouth, and I learned how to fight a big dog. You had to grab him by the, their collar or the scruff of their neck and stick your forearm as far up that jaw as you could so that you could prevent him from, from nipping at you and biting you, uh, ripping from flesh the flesh. So you hold on to that collar and stick your forearm all the way up there. Otherwise, you're done. He's going to dig in deep and he's going to pull. And I'm talking about one inch fangs eventually. And he would just pull the flesh from your friggin' bone if need be. We had some tough times there when he would really grab you. And I got worried. I kicked his ass out. So we grew and we would, we, did, we lived at the beach. We lived in coastal New Jersey, Ocean County, a town called Forked River. So we didn't vacation at the beach. We didn't want to have anything to do with it, the traffic and the tourists and all that shit. We wanted to be up in the mountains. So we did a lot of camping, and our little campsite turned to a trailer, and our trailer turned into an eventual breaking ground and building our own cabin. My parents built this friggin' cabin with their own two, with their own friggin' four hands, hauling wood up there on the weekends and running crazy power tools and raising roofs and crazy shit. They've done it all. It's probably the, a life's accomplishment was building this cabin on the mountaintop. Beautiful place on ten acres. And Buck reigned supreme. If you came up to that mountain, I mean, they were dogs were running free. We ain't got no damn leashes or any of that shit. They would run around their 10 acres and thousands of acres around that 10 like they owned the place. And he didn't want to hurt anybody. He, didn't want to, he wasn't looking for a fight. But if he saw you approach the house, he would friggin' posture up and scare the shit out of you, literally. We would take the dogs. They had their, their uh, full use of the grounds. They would typically stay around the house, sleep underneath the deck go out on the swath and lay out there in the grass. The swath was this barren strip of land that went straight up. It seemed like it had to be at least a 35-degree incline up to the tippy top of this mountain. And that was the place we selected to put the cabin. So Buck would lay out on that grassy slope, and of course we spent a lot of time out there playing and running up and racing each other and sledding down in the winter. Um, sometimes we would take the dogs on walks down these roads we called wood roads there's a top wood road and the bottom wood road by our house and what these wood roads were essentially where loggers would go in there with heavy equipment they'd create a road in there a pathway to where all the trees were old growth forest and they'd get in there and take all the good lumber out they could make a living on that and plus they had quarries up there, so they would cut stone out and make it into little slate pieces. Bluestone was mainly the, the type of stone that they had there. They'd cut huge pieces of it, 
rectangles or squares or whatever the hell else and they would sell that so we would go down these wood roads and typically they were not traveled well they were just a big grassy center median and maybe some rudimentary ruts on both sides and in the rock and sandy soil and we would walk down those roads my dad always had his shotgun cocked over his uh, you know it was a a, uh, chamber was open so he had a single chamber shotgun old Harrington and Richardson piece of shit he got for maybe $75 out of Bob Kislin's or something 12 gauge and he had that barrel cracked open with a shot shell in there and a couple backups and a sweatshirt or something in case we encountered whatever a bear a cougar or something some sort of animal that we need to protect ourselves so we'd carry a shotgun I would carry my 22 and we'd head on down the road and the dogs would lead the way Typically, as we walked, sometimes miles, the dogs would tear out constantly. They were going in and on and off the trail, into the woods, into the underbrush, chasing things, catch a scent, and they tear ass into that into the woods. And we'd hit the turnaround point on the way back. You'd see them pop out in front of you or behind you, and there would be buck trusty old buck. He'd always find you. He'd always sniff you out and catch up to you later on in the the, uh, walk. He'd always find his way home. So on one particular hike down that wood road, my dad and I, my sister, we head out there. Buck catches a scent tears ass off into the woods we hit the turnaround point a mile or so ahead come back, Buck's nowhere to be found, we stop, we look for him we call for him, we finally head back to the cabin, he'll find us as he has hundreds of times before we get back to the cabin we're sitting up at the top of the mountain on, the, on our cabin with the deck we're just waiting for him to come along nothing. Buck's not friggin' anywhere to be seen. Hours go by. Lunch is over now. It's the late afternoon. Like, where the hell is Buck? So we go down to Wood Road, try to find him. I tear down there in my quad. No sign of Buck. Head back to the house. We're eating dinner. After dinner, we're sitting on the deck, drinking some beverages. There's a faint blonde structure, beast, which was Buck with his black muzzle, standing at the bottom of the road, walking very slow. He's got his tongue hanging so friggin' low. When he would get winded, tired, he'd get cotton mouth, and his tongue would be hanging all friggin' frothed up pretty low. Well, this is the lowest I ever saw Buck's tongue. It's almost dragging on the ground. His head's hung low and he's, you know, just suffering from the exertion. <clears throat> and below him, this dog that stood probably 
four foot off the ground trying to suckle on his underbelly is a fawn, a little baby deer, a bambi. And as he approached us, there was the deer following him all around, trying to get underneath, trying to nurse off of what he thought was, what it thought was its mom. And in fact, it was Buck, a 200-pound English mastiff with no titties that were functional, only a big furry dog cock. And so what's most peculiar about this, I mean, that's the cutest thing you've ever seen, is this little fawn trying to suckle off a poor old Buck. But Buck, we always thought that he was just a crazy, fearsome animal. And we were concerned, you know, like, well, what would happen if he actually caught an animal? If he got into it with a deer, chased a deer and caught it, would he kill it? Because we had seen Buck eat many a gut pile. And what a gut pile is, people out there, hunters and whatever, roadkill, you'd find these animals that would die either of natural or, or man-made causes all the time up in the woods. Hunter would shoot a deer, it would perish up there, get gut shot, and then tear off however far, and they'd never, the hunter would never find it. Or the deer would just die of natural causes and, and die and decay up there. Buck would sniff, sniff that carcass out and eat it. I mean, he would eat the muscle tissue, the guts, the, the hide, the fur, even the bones. I remember one time I saw him come up with what turned out to be a spinal column in his mouth. And he chewed the spinal column up and ate it. And later that day, or the next following day, he crapped like a cinder block. I mean, just bones, just a hard, a turd that was primarily bone that had been chewed, uh, you know, uh, dissolved by the very low pH, very acidic stomach environment of this gigantic predatory dog. And the dog just friggin' defecated it out. It was the craziest thing I ever saw. The only thing that beats it is the friggin' absolutely nutty occurrence of this gigantic dog, this beast of an animal, being suckled on by a Bambi. So, little Bambi covered with mucus, hanging out with Buck, we didn't know what the hell to do with it. We picked it up, took some photos with it, and started looking in the yellow pages for places that we could... Well, what could we do with it, you know? We can't raise it. So we just so we found a place down in the valley that supposedly took in animals that needed help and this sort of thing, which I'm sure happened all the time up there. So last we heard, my mother dropped off the, uh, the baby deer at this little rescue place 10 miles down the road or something and hopefully they nursed it to adulthood and it was able to go off and live a productive life in the outdoors it was a shame that it was separated from its mother Buck probably interrupted the birthing process and you know then there was came back around 
after the deer, mother ran off and saw the little baby deer and couldn't separate itself from it, took care of it. Just goes. To, I just I don't know what kind of message it has, but you see periodically pictures and videos of um, animals taking care of one another, helping each other out in nature, and you know not being mortal enemies or trying to kill each other or anything like that, but instead relying upon one another and and coexisting sometimes. And here was one of those times where this gigantic dog with crazy teeth might have just plucked his morsel of a Bambi out of Mother Nature and eaten it, but it's not the monster that people might have assumed that he was. Such a heartwarming tale. The dog didn't kill the deer. The dog mothered that deer. A male dog mothered a deer, um, took care of it, saw that it maybe brought it to us because it knew that we would try to help. And for all we know, that deer lived a long, happy life out in the Catskill Mountains. Or maybe somebody raised it and then ate it. I don't freaking know. But got to try to be positive about these things. Such a heartwarming dog tale, right? I got a few more of those tales like that. It can take me some time to put together. But I hope you would enjoyed this heartwarming canine tale.